You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Will Christensen. He is CEO at Data Automation. We're going to talk to him about what he's doing in the sort of the world of data science, the world of data automation. We're going to learn about his business and what he's learned about developing essentially a service company and how service companies can really benefit from thinking about that whole idea of automation and how to take anything that's not super high-level value-added work that you do for your clients and not do it. <laughs> Find other things to do it. And so we're going to talk to him about some of the strategies and techniques he uses to help businesses do that. Always a great conversation. I love people that are kind of applying science and technologies to service-based companies. Some real opportunities there that I think people often miss. So I'm excited to, to see where this conversation goes and what we can talk about that's going to be beneficial for our audience here. With that, William, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. As you were talking about, you know, take anything that's not super high level and just figure out how to not do it. It totally made me think of why data automation. We started a podcast at Data Automation as well, mm-hmm. and the reason we call the podcast "Automate, Delegate, Eliminate" like literally, that's what we call it: Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. The it. reason we call it that is because that's the pivot point. You know, when you come right up against growing a business, especially a service-based business you have to decide when it's time to automate, delegate, or eliminate that task. When it's time to not do it anymore and just be done, but walk away from it. Or when it's time to delegate it and hand it to someone else and how to do that. So couldn't agree with you more. So much so that we named our podcast that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, And before we dig into kind of everything you're doing today, uh, what's the background? Like, how did you get into this? What was your professional background? Why automation? What kind of inspired you to get to this point? Tell us a bit of the story. You know, I I have always been a huge believer in doing things more efficient. Told this story before, but my my dad said that I was going to be an inventor. And the reason he said I was going to be an inventor is because I was always coming up with something to make life easier and, you know, look at ways to handle some of those different situations. So I came up with this idea to make this giant vacuum cleaner thing that would reach over the back of your house. Like like I, I saw the garbage truck with its arm. And I was like, well, what if, what if that was like, you know, way bigger and could reach back behind the house and like suck the garbage out of the garbage can so that I didn't have to take it to the curb anymore. And I I like drew a diagram and everything. And my dad was like, wow, like that was a lot of effort (laughs) to come up with a way not to have to take out the trash. And I was like, no, dad, this could be huge. Like, imagine you wouldn't have to take the garbage to the curb anymore. <laughs> so do, is it just this kind of a curiosity with what if and like finding problems and saying, wow, like what are some radical ways to solve them that people haven't thought about? Is that what drives you? Yeah, like I just love... 
I mean, I, I've talked about it on other on other podcast episodes before. Extreme laziness, extreme <laughs> efficiency. I just, I really get off on the idea of, well, what could we do if, or or how do we how do we look at the world? One time, I was talking about stopping pollution by putting these giant fans on top of skyscrapers and then just putting a filter on the other side. And I was like, look, you just suck all the air through there and you capture the pollution in the filter and poof, no more pollution in the air. I don't know. I've always been fascinated by building something or creating something from nothing. Yeah. And so how has this played out for you professionally? Give us a sense of how you've kind of navigated that and built a company you've built. I went and my passion for something from nothing turned into a lot of sales opportunities throughout college. I worked for the the school newspaper. I served a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Brazil. And Mm -hmm. I learned about knocking on doors. And I learned about selling the gospel was what I was selling, right? I I was selling... Christianity and a belief in God. And I learned about talking to people. And then I I came home from my mission and worked for a couple of different newspapers. I got fired eventually because (laughs) they figured out that I didn't really want to sell. I just wanted to figure out how to make more stuff from nothing. Like my passion wasn't selling. My passion was convincing more people to do something, creating. I was way more interested in creating a new product for the newspaper than I was interested in selling the same old, same old. Yeah. 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 And so quickly over time, time, I found my way. I figured out pretty quickly that I I needed to start somewhere and learn more about how to be real in business. And so I shifted from newspapers to technology and the internet. I could see that trend happening pretty quickly Mm -hmm. as newspapers continued to dwindle. But I liked the idea of communication. So I got into internet advertising at an agency in Salt Lake City, Utah as the lowest man on the totem pole. And they gave me 16 hours of copying and pasting every day. Um, (laughs) And I was like... I think I want to shoot myself. Yeah, exactly. It was just bad. So that drive to to create something from nothing, coupled with my extreme efficiency slash laziness, basically shot me forward into, I'm going to teach myself how to code. And so I taught myself how to, well, first I recorded a bunch of macros in Excel, and then I went and looked at the back end of Excel, and I realized that when you record a macro in Excel, it's just writing code. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. And so I started tying... I can cut the the corner here. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I started tying them all together, and I probably spent somewhere around 360-some-odd hours automating my 16-hour manual process, and I got it down to the point where 16 hours turned into two every week. Nice. And it was just so fascinating. And then I jumped in and said, okay, what if I built a company that just focused on efficiency? I can still remember the first conversation I had with my dad. I was like, dad, I love... I love making a breakthrough in like like the when I figured out how to make Excel open a web browser, log into Facebook ads and download an Excel spreadsheet so that I could then import it. Like when I made that step of okay, I went from Excel macro recording to now I've actually got something that opens up a web browser. That was such an amazing rewarding moment. I was like, "Oh, wow." Like, yeah. <laughs> I get this. So, I don't know. I got pretty passionate about finding breakthroughs and I've always been passionate about teaching people. So, you know, you put those two together, my extreme efficiency slash laziness with my passion for creating something from nothing. And then you couple that with the breakthroughs and creating, you know, technology, whatnot. And, you know, an automation consultancy was like a no brainer. 
Yeah. I'm curious what the, what's the craziest automation or craziest thing that you figured out how to automate or connection you've made between systems or programs or services? I don't know if it's the craziest. It's probably the, the, the craziest thing we've ever attempted that this automation is no longer intact. So if anybody's listening to this uh, <laughs> episode from China, you don't need to come after data automation because it's, it's no longer something that's actually functional or live. But we did help one of our clients hack the bank of China. <laughs> so like we logged in i mean and and when i say it that way it sounds like holy crap will what are you guys doing (laughs) um but what we ended up doing was we ended up logging in and just downloading some csv files and then putting them into zero for our client Uh Uh, but I, i had so much fun because my my programmer is a guy who was born overseas in europe and he had this uh-huh. awesome accent and his long black hair and he's totally hacking into the bank of china for me you know <laughs> figuring out how to get past the captcha and then yep. download the csv file so it wasn't by anything illegal by any means but but i do enjoy telling people that yeah we once we hacked the bank the bank of china for one of our automations i love it i love it yeah i mean it's it's one of those things it's like uh it almost becomes like a challenge oh yeah <laughs> it's like it's like what's the like could we do that i don't know let's try <laughs> My my partner, Dustin Checkets, he often says to me, it's not about the can we do it. It's about the should we do it. Going back to <laughs> Jurassic Park, like, like, yes, I get that that could be automated, Will, but should you? Should you be automating? Should, should that thing exist in the world in an automated way? Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of sci-fi uh, story reference here about, you know, what should technology do and not do, but I get it. I get it because you can do anything. So tell me a little bit about data automation. Like, how have you built that business? Like, how have things evolved? I'm always curious on how companies have kind of pivoted and shifted over the years. Like, where did you start and and how did things play out to where you are today? So initially, it was all about automation, right? Like, it was all about what else can I help other people automate? And we, like, we did all sorts of stupid stuff. Like, we built a an entire affiliate management tracking software using nothing but Google Sheets and Google Tag Manager. So it was, it was basically free. Like we made it so that it would track every single visit that you had to the site. And then every time someone, you know, checked out on the site and I just, I did, I did some tutorials on JavaScript and kind of wrote, wrote some things around and figured out how to drop a cookie and, and where to go about it. But I basically just hacked together these tools and one, my other business partner, Brandon Checkets, who's the founder of Seller Labs, the founder of Roundsphere, and a couple of these others, he he got pretty excited about some of the crazy stuff that I was hacking together, and 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 I pitched him on the idea of creating data automation, and and he was like, let's do it, and so that's kind of where all of this began. And it, originally, we were focused just on you know what what sort of solutions can we hack together for people, and pretty quickly. I discovered that there was a real opportunity to help people tackle things in a different way than I had anticipated. SaaS companies have APIs, but they don't really love them. But most of them are actually pretty frustrated on when it comes to some of those different pieces, and they they don't focus so much on their API or the connection. So the API is an application programming interface that most SaaS mm-hmm. companies have to kind of connect things. And we discovered pretty quickly that automation also meant API expert. And so pretty quickly we became, you know, premier partners with Zapier. We actually build Zapier, integ- Zapier applications from the ground up. And we also help people just 
hook things up on Zapier. We we also work with other platforms like Integromat or a lot of those other ones that are out there. So we figured out that automation also meant API and started to really double down on some expertise in connecting two different software platforms together. Yeah, interesting. And and how, where did you find your customers? I'm curious, like how, how you built out you know, a focused customer? How, how did that change and evolve? Who typically do you work with? Well, initially, we would just look at anybody who had any need for automation. So like we were just going out to like any of the small businesses around us and we were discovering everybody had automation problems. But we found that some customers were so early in their in their journey to automate that they weren't ready for us. They needed to try and fail more so, so if there's this is a, a nugget for for your service-based businesses, we discovered that our initial clients had not yet tried and failed themselves, and they had not yet hired and failed. And so, I don't know what book this is from. It's it's it, a good friend of mine who's a, who's a mentor brought it to me and said, "Hey, look, Will, the best clients are those who have not only tried themselves and failed." but have also hired and failed because then they're willing to pay for real expertise. They understand what it's going to take to actually build. And so we started to take a step back and look for people who were in that boat and had tried and failed and hired and failed. And we find that those individuals are are more fun to work with. So for any of you service-based listeners, if you can figure out ways to incorporate those two questions, have you tried this already on your own and you failed? Or have you hired somebody else already and you failed? Um, Focus on the guys who answered yes to both of those questions and you'll be a lot happier because those guys are willing to pay more and they're, they're more fun to work with anyway. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Like we found, I, so I ran a, an agile consultancy for, for about a decade. And, and one of the key things that we would look for is that they'd had a failed agile implementation roughly four to six months previous. Because if it was if it was sooner than that, they were still too bitter. <laughs> they didn't want to talk about it. Uh, and if they were much farther than that, they were typically down the path of other solutions. But but we wanted them to have a failure because it it you know it it showed them the cost of of not having this work out, and it showed them how hard it was. And yes, they would value expertise, right? And so they could they would then pay the prices that it took to get bring us in and actually help them work with them on these systems and these teams. So yeah, I, I get that kind of. Having a failure, you know, failed to do it themselves, failed uh, in a hiring situation to then really call in the big guns and, and find someone who really knows how to do this. That's a good, great, great point. Yeah. So, I mean, super, super powerful. So your question was directly, you know, what did my customers look like in the beginning as we kind of looked at this? I mean, we were basically taking on anybody who would pay us because we were just trying to, you know, we were trying to make payroll. Chasing revenue. Chasing yeah, revenue. So yeah. It, it was like, all right, we're just going to do that because, you know, it makes it makes money. And what we discovered is that making money doesn't always mean making money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to steal that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because of just how real it was. Like we took on a $20,000 project and we were building an app from the ground up for a friend of mine. He's, he's actually a dear friend now. We talk all the time. But I told him straight up at the very beginning, I was like, look, dude, I think I can help you build this. Just so you're aware, we're totally farming it out to India. And I, I was totally transparent. I said, I've never done this before, but I've, I've got a really solid idea of how to do it based on some of my experience with some of this other stuff. And it's not something that we can build internally because of X, Y, and Z. So you're basically my first dude. I'm, I'm going to, I got this company in India who's going to build it and I'm going to project manage it and product manage your, your build. And I was transparent about it. We did it and man, did I learn a lot and I wouldn't go back and undo that deal. 
But if I look at it on an overall, like, did I make money? Oh, no. We lost money on that $20,000 deal based yep. on how much time I spent working on it and some of those other things. And so that was one of the first things that data automation did to shift for our customer base was where to go and what to look like and, and how it would go. So, yeah, it was a, a lot of learning where we figured out, mm, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. It's like, yeah, you, you may not have made any money on that deal, but think of everything that you learned. <laughs> now, so that's, you know, when we, if we're coining new phrases for you, Bruce, as we look at it, it's all about, okay, you know, when you're making money, you may not, you may not always make money, but in this situation, I made knowledge, right? Yeah. I, I learned so much about how not to structure a deal. And I mean, we rescued the relationship. And like I said, this guy and I are really good friends still. And the reason we're really good friends is because I was so open and transparent. And so when he got frustrated, I was like, but I told you that this is how yeah, yeah. you know things might happen. And, and so we were able to both walk away with some serious learning. So that, that was good. But we figured out how to make money by limiting what we do instead of being so broad and open. Yeah. And so what was the key there? What what did you kind of to focus on and what did you have to shed to really find a viable business? Well, so, you know, in the beginning, like I said, data automation was just chasing the paycheck, chasing the, the revenue to kind of get what's there. One thing I would say is don't scale too soon. And what I mean by that is, I guess, wait for product market fit or ensure you have some semblance of product market fit before you scale the team. So I being a visionary and being kind of, if you're if you're familiar with like Rocket Fuel and, mm-hmm. and some of those other books that, that kind of talk about this, the, the EOS traction talks about kind of a, a visionary versus a, an integrator. I'm totally the visionary and I actually get really tired of selling the same thing over and over again, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. want to solve the same problem over and over again. So I found out that I'm not actually a really good sales guy. I'm a really good starting point. I'm a really good evangelist for something new. Once once it's no longer new, I get bored. So I guess the one thing I would say is focus on the basics to the point where you can turn the wheel a little bit and and then productize that wheel. So I would say before you scale, get to the point where you can see that a product actually can be done by someone else. So one thing I, I made the mistake of is I thought, oh, I'll build a business on this idea or this product or this service when I couldn't separate it from myself. <laughs> yeah. So I, like the automation or, or whatever else it was, like I had to be the one to sell it because I was the only one who could sell it. And so, you know, if you hire a salesperson, even if they're 100K a year, buy the guy for a week, two weeks, and see if they're having any semblance of luck trying to build what you're building or, or trying to sell what you're selling. I guess that's what I would say is do do small tests to discover where the productization is and then quickly limit what you're focusing on. So we started to focus on just working with people on Zapier. So we build integrations on Zapier for SaaS companies. We help people automate things on Zapier and that's one arm of our business. And then we figured out, okay, another product that we have is that we have our own software framework that we use that actually helps people connect different pieces of software together when Zapier doesn't work. And we use that as well. And then basically we said everything else is custom. Everything else we consider CUST, even though it's something we could do, and anything in the custom category or bucket got a 2 or 3x price tag put on it because it wasn't <laughs> yeah. something that was going to be repeatable. Yeah, exactly. You, had to, you couldn't offset the, the cost for that on other clients. It needed to be a one and done. 
no approach. Yeah. I always say we want to we want to scale uh, solutions, not problems. So one of the first things I do when we go in and start talking about scaling strategy is like, what are all the things that are working? You know, let's focus on those and let's not do anything that's not working right now. We either need to fix and make it you know successful and profitable and easy to manage, or we need to jettison because if you scale a business that had a lot of problems, you're going to scale all the problems as well, and that's not that's not a good strategy. And you can naturally jettison those things just by tripling the price. Yeah. Or sometimes, sometimes you actually naturally fix them. Uh, I've yes. seen this happen where you know a service isn't viable because the price isn't there, and you you know you double or triple the price. All of a sudden, you've got a great product or service because now you're getting paid for it. Yep. And I've found that that I hate telling people no. I hate telling people, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. Yeah. Like that's that sentence is one that I wish I don't wish on anybody ever having to say that ever again. Right? Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I can't help you with that. But I discovered that instead of saying, oh, sorry, I can't help you with that, I could help people understand. Hey, yes, we. We can help you with that, but I want you to know this isn't one of our our core products. We have some skills there, so we're definitely the right experts, but you may be able to find other experts who are willing to do it for less. This is our price, and the reason this is our price is because we chose to focus on some of these other things, and I was super transparent, and sometimes they were like, well, I don't care. You, you seem like you know what you're talking about. We'll pay you to do it, and that additional price tag allowed me to allow the customers to kind of self-select. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, and that self-selection, it's not you firing them, it's them firing themselves because the value proposition is just not there. Right, and I would then give discounts in the in the products and places where things were working and like there was recurring revenue and other other things to do. Mm-hmm. You could focus on those other pieces, but that, that was a big part of data automation growing up and becoming more of a productized business was eliminating all of those other things. And then we developed a process for onboarding new products. So we have new products that we're going to try and tackle. And we have a way that we as a team look at those and say, okay, we're going to do it in this way and handle it, you know, and go through these pieces. We're not just going to do it willy nilly. We're going to kind of go through that process. And what is, give us a highlight of that process. Like what does that process do? Why does it work? So it's actually still a work in progress to some degree or another, but I can give you a high level. Basically, as the visionary, I envision myself, so let's say that we're, we're a sea trading vessel. You, you have your integrator who's at the helm of the vessel, and you know they're steering the ship down the way. And me as the visionary, I go get in the skiff, and I like run out to an island, find this exotic thing, and I come back and like, hey, look, we could sell this too. <laughs> and when I come back as the visionary with that piece of coral or whatever else it is, instead of the integrator just being like, sweet, and they turn the whole ship and head that way, way, they'll actually ask a series of questions about that piece of coral. So, okay, well, how rare is it? How much of this are we actually going to find on the island? You know, like they start asking me a series of qualifying questions about the opportunity so that it can get there. I'm reading a book right now called Get a Grip, which is also by the, it's Gina Wickman, the, Mm -hmm. the same guys that do traction. And the visionary in the book, he said, oh yeah, he has 20 ideas a week. And one of them is good. And so I think that's the key is developing a rubric or a scoring system around which you can eliminate those 20 other ideas. And as the visionary, you don't have to feel bad about the fact that those 20 ideas got eliminated because that's the whole point. Yeah is finding the right idea. Yeah, yeah. I used EOS in my company originally, and I, I certainly identified myself as the visionary. <laughs> and I know that uh, I know that thing of um, people used to, like when I came into a meeting and I had a certain look on my face, 
people would just kind of shake their head and like, oh no, here we go, right? Because this is like, <laughs> there's another one of these ideas and we're going to just like start chasing tiny things. Yeah, and I, I had to kind of get good at pre-filtering those or at least running them through a certain amount of checklist kind of qualifications before I got it. And, and quite honestly, sometimes we had some really great ideas, but we had better ideas. And, you know, I always found that focusing on, you know, a handful of, of the best ideas and actually taking them to completion and actually building a business around it was better than taking, you know, 50 really good ideas and getting them 80% done yep. because it's like getting it over the finish line was always a challenge in, yeah. in these cases. So for any visionary who's listening to this, the thing that I discovered is I had to sell it at least five to 10 times. Mm-hmm. And if your gut is saying, oh, I just want to stop. I just want to stop. It's been five times. Sell it five more. Like, like mm-hmm. get the thing to turn five more times and then start looking at, okay, could I could I get hit by a bus tomorrow and this whole thing actually function? If the answer to that question is yes, and you think you could offload all of that in the next six months, and you've got a distribution method that actually works, like you're actually able to get it out of there to customers, you're onto something. But if, if the answer to that question is not yes, <laughs> then, then you probably need to sell it five more times because you haven't pivoted the thing into the right model for where everything goes. Yeah, yeah, no, excellent points. And so any industries or anything that you find that you end up getting a lot of traction in and, and what's your explanation for that or do you not have it do you find industries are not a focus? You know, it's it's very interesting that you ask about industries because I find that the I tell people all the time, like, oh, you want to start a, an automation consultancy? Come here, I'll tell you how to do it. And, and they always look at me like, wait, you'd actually like teach me how to build a competing agency? I was like, do you have any idea how much automation is actually going to be needed here in the next 20 years? Like, the yeah. amount of manual labor that's happening in companies everywhere is absurd. Yeah. And so what I would say to you is industries are important because they help you productize. So one of the things that we did is we built some automation software of our own and we focused on e-commerce and we're able to kill it in e-commerce because it's so common to have a repeatable thing that happens over and over and over again. Well, that's exciting for me because because then we can productize it and really figure out where that's going and and how to how to handle exactly what's what that's looking and and where to go and so so one of the things that is super exciting about it is that it narrowed our focus down to something that actually worked. So I would say that that's important, but don't ignore other industries, I guess is one of the things I would say is that's honest. One of the places that your service business can expand is if you built you know, this business that does marketing for real estate agents, start thinking about who else is there in the world that is similar to a real estate agent and you may have another department you can found and build. So for us, e-commerce has been a very effective place for us to play. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I, I get that Like once you solve something for one industry or one kind of situation, it's kind of that, right, well, who else is you know, kind of from a pattern point of view in that similar type of situation that we could reapply our learnings, if not actual technology, to that other domain and solve. And they might be quite different. I mean, I, you know, I could see how you know, a type of particular automation, you know, could go from one industry to a very, very different industry just because it's it's kind of doing the same underlying kind of thing for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so you look at your value proposition and all of a sudden you can hand that value proposition to another individual or another industry and you're onto something. So yeah, industries have been important for us, but that would be the big thing I would say about industry is don't limit yourself to one industry too prematurely 
you'd be surprised how often your same model will work for another industry. So for us, we don't say, oh, we only do e-commerce. We'll, we'll use our automation framework, our services, our software. I mean, I've got lawyers who use us. I've got, you know, hood cleaning companies for restaurants. Like they go in and clean out the grease out of a, <laughs> out, yeah. of a out of a restaurant. So, I mean, all sorts of just different stuff like that. And so that's one thing I would say is don't limit yourself too soon, but do pick a focus. Yeah. And do you, is, is there, is this kind of experiment with different industries, experiment with clients, and then as you see the opportunity to kind of drill down on that or how, like, or do you kind of look at the industry more strategically and kind of choose it because of some qualities? Well, it's originally, we just built the piece of software, like, like we're kind of a find the problem first, then build it sort of company. Mm-hmm. So Roundsphere, the tech incubator, you know, where data automation started, it was all about like find a problem and then build a company around it. So my first couple of automation clients, we didn't even know what we were going to call this thing. We didn't have a domain name. We didn't have a logo. We were just like, oh, there's a problem out there in the world. And if we tackle it in this way, this is going to be huge. And so, you know, after we'd done our first couple of things, we were working on our first version of a Zapier integration for a company called Signup Genius. After we had done, had our first couple of clients, we're like, oh, what do we do? What is this? And we're like, we do automation. And one of our copywriters came in and said, well, what if you just called it data automation? I was like, there's no way that domain name is available. <laughs> um, and, no, and, really? And, yeah, exactly. I was like, nah. And she's like, well, it says right here on GoDaddy, it's available. And sure enough, there was a, a domain arbitrage company, one of those companies that buys up all the mm, good domains yeah. and sits on them. They had it and they wanted five grand for it. We talked them down to 2,500 bucks. It's the best 2,500 bucks I've ever spent. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess don't get so stuck on the brand and the idea and the name and the industry that you lose track. Go find people who will let you solve their problems and then figure out what the brand and the name and all of the, all of those other things should be. Yeah, I can see that. It's kind of the lean startup idea of, you know, go, yes. go out into the market, you know, really kind of understand the customer, what are their needs, and then, you know, develop solutions, validate those solutions, and then figure out how to grow and scale in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, I love the lean startup. Great book in terms of, and I actually love reading that book through, through the eyes of a service-based company because he wrote it. I mean, specifically for software development, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. he, he says in there, this is a book for the, across all industries and everything, but all of his examples yeah, exactly. yeah, <laughs> are software-based. Software yeah. But when you look at it, it, it's actually a little, it's easier to, like, think about it, like when you're trying to change a, a product to match a, a customer's desires or needs. In mm-hmm. a service-based business, all you have to do to do that is call over your shoulder, hey, Billy, next time we do that, let's ask this question before that question. And as mm-hmm. long as you document that, you just changed your product, right? Yeah, exactly. Versus, like, you want to roll out a new feature in software, well, a little more difficult. So, yeah. so you can use that rapid feedback, you know, loop to build a business in a very different way in that world. Yeah. If there's someone listening here who's, you know, in a service-oriented company, what are the things that you suggest they look for in terms of finding things that they could potentially automate? Are there any kind of hints, telltale signs of things that they're doing that could be automated? Yeah. So it's funny because I, I share this all the time. And even now, I still find things that I'm like, what the fetch were you doing? Why didn't you automate that? I give people a litmus test, and it's 15115. So get out a sticky note, write that at the top, 15115. What that stands for is more than 15 minutes a day, more than an hour a week, or more than an hour a month. And the five stands for do it five times manually before you automate. Okay. Okay. 
So that's how I discover things that can be automated. Now, you're going to find a lot of stuff that can't be automated. But after you've done it five times, you'll have a solid idea. So I tell people, do 15115, do it five times manually. And after you do that, look through the list and say, which of these things could I easily delegate to an individual who has a basic understanding of Excel and email or Google Sheets and email? If the answer is yes to any of those questions, and it would take you about the same amount of time to teach someone to do it as it did to do it, in other words, you don't have to go through it three or four times before they get it. It's like, oh, I go copy and paste these products into this spreadsheet and do that kind of thing. Those are ideal candidates for automation. That's great. Well, if people want to find out more about you, about data automation... What's the best way to get that information? So you can test out some of Data Automation's automation by hitting us up on our website. Uh, we have a sticky footer across the bottom of the page, or at least when this episode's recorded, uh, we did. And the sticky footer pops up and says, hey, get a free consultation. And then we also have our contact us form. Both of those are linked to automations that actually help qualify everyone who we talk to in a very succinct, easy way, but is not annoying. So uh, you can test out some of our own automation by hitting us up on our website and, and getting in contact with us that way. You can also shoot me an email directly. It's will at data automation, but I highly re- recommend checking out the automation we've got on our website. Yeah, it seems like we should. I mean, given what you do, <laughs> Just, the proof we, is in the pudding. That, I try to tell people that. <laughs> Good. I'll make sure that the links in the email is in the show notes here so people can click through and get that. Will, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.